Hello, this is another episode of the Market Lane Coffee podcast. This is part of the new coffee rollout series that we're doing for our staff, introducing new coffees. And today I'm here to talk about our new seasonal espresso. Uh, this is made up mostly of a coffee from Brazil called Sao Judas, and it's paired with a small amount of coffee from Rwanda called Ruli. I caught up with Toshi a bit earlier um, to talk about Sao Judas, but before I get to that, we had a couple of questions from last week's podcast about Bolivian coffee. And one of the questions we had was, why are Bolivian coffees more expensive than other coffees? And the answer to that is quite complicated, or there are a number of factors which make Bolivian coffees more, more expensive. The first big one is, I think, the lack of infrastructure in Bolivia. So a lot of other countries like Colombia or Guatemala have producers associations which help with picking varieties that grow really well in the country. They can help with sourcing or recommending types of fertilizer or fungicides. And Bolivia has never really had anything like that. They had a little bit of support in the early 2000s from USAID and Cup of Excellence competition contributed quite a lot to their coffee industry. But outside of that, coffee producers are really on their own. The second thing that I think contributes to the, the cost of production is the farm size. So most landholders in Bolivia produce coffee only have one hectare of land for coffee production. And producing coffee on just one hectare is more expensive because basically you're doing a similar amount of work to someone who has a larger farm, but you're only getting 30 bags in return for all your hard work. There are other countries that also have quite small farms like Colombia. I think the land holding in Colombia is also around just one to two hectares per person. But in Colombia, they have a lot more support in terms of cooperatives and local drop-off points and support from their uh, national coffee producers association called FNC. Also, another large part of the infrastructure challenge is things like roads and like real basic infrastructure that we tend to take for granted. Things are just much harder to do in Bolivia. The main road between La Paz and Caranavi has been under repair works ever since I started visiting in uh, 2012. It's constantly under repair and it's constantly falling apart so everything takes a long time most of the time we try and drive from La Paz to Caranavi we have to go at night time because they're doing roadworks during the day and so you can imagine trying to do business in a place like this is just much more expensive and more difficult Additionally, the cost of things like inputs are expensive in Bolivia. So because there's not a great deal of fertilizer imported by large farms or by large corporations, it is very expensive to purchase in these smaller amounts. And that price has to be absorbed by someone, so they have to include it in the selling price. Uh, there are also additional like added pressures from cocoa growers. In Bolivia, cocoa is largely unregulated. Landholders are allowed to, to grow it and, and sell it on to producers of cocaine. But the production of coca is much faster and much easier than the production of coffee. So it tends to be something that people turn to instead of growing coffee. Again, this in turn can limit the amount of production and can push the prices even higher. And finally, I think it's worth mentioning the varieties that are grown in Bolivia. So we work with the Buena Vista Mill and they do a lot of their own research into what varieties work really well, what varieties produce high yields, which ones are resistant to fungus or disease. But a lot of the traditional producers in Bolivia are simply growing what coffee they have already in the ground. And that tends to be Tipica, which can produce a really nice cup, but it does need a lot of like management in terms of like pruning, fertilizing, but also crucially managing fungus and, and pests and things like that. So without that, Tipica can be really hard to grow and, and doesn't tend to produce a very good cup. So again, without the investment of a national body, it can be really difficult for farmers growing these historically low yielding varieties in very remote areas. So thank you for your question. And I hope that explains why Bolivian coffees are more expensive for us to purchase.
So now onto our new seasonal espresso. So I'm here with Toshi. Toshi has traveled to Brazil many times and he's been the primary buyer for Melbourne coffee merchants from Brazil. And he has a lot of experience in tasting Brazilian coffees and has a passion for Brazilian coffees as well. I've been lucky enough to travel with Toshi a few times, including to Brazil. And we went to Piata together and visited the Sao Judas farm. And I thought it'd be nice to hear from Toshi and talk about, you know, what Sao Judas is like and what the farm's like. So thank you for joining us, Toshi. Oh, no, thank you. Uh, thank you for giving the time for this talk. Yeah. Do you remember the first time you visited Sao Judas? Uh, that was 2015. And uh, I didn't have much experience to visit coffee farm, so I don't know much about that time. But it was really good to see two different scale of uh, coffee farms. Sao Judas is located in Piata area, which is kind of micro lot, small, much smaller than other coffee farms like in Minas Gerais or mm-hmm. uh, Sur de Minas mm-hmm. or other area. They are much bigger, but Piata is higher altitude and much smaller, so it's very different. I've yeah. seen a bigger coffee farm in 2012 yeah, it's good to see very different even same country and they have a beautiful setup on their farm as well a small cafe in the front or a, a mm-hmm. farmhouse kitchen and yes. a very nice drying sort of greenhouse area as well what other special things do you remember about visiting at uh, Sao Judas? yes the producer of Sao Judas is uh, Antonio Higuno he has a lot of knowledge and experience but he's kind of a quiet person mm-hmm. I really respect because he has knowledge and he knows what to do and he wants he decided he does it mm. and also uh, he really look after coffee coffee trees of, of course and also a people staff who works with uh, him mm-hmm. as well and uh, they were always uh, welcoming especially his wife uh, Teresa she her uh, homemade cooking is amazing. She cooks so many different kind of uh, meal and also cakes. And she's always smiling and uh, touch my shoulder and, and very uh, welcoming. That was very special. Very special. Yeah. And he's won a lot of Cup of Excellence competitions. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. He will deserve it because he does a lot of work. Yeah. I still remember what he said. Uh, only one coffee bean sit on the patio somewhere else. That can be a wind cup of excellence. Mm. So make sure even one being take care and look after well. Can you describe what Sao Judas tastes like to you? You've been tasting it for Melbourne Coffee Merchants quite a bit this year already. Yes. Every year is quite consistent and good. So they have a proper natural and natural process. Both are really tasting good. Mm. Like when you imagine about the coffee from Brazil, it's more nutty or chocolatey kind of classic. Uh, you will use it for like a milk blend. But mm-hmm. this one, especially this one, is, comes from higher altitude and uh, has more flavor, complexity. I often get like a tropical fruits, a passion fruits, also lime kind of flavor and good structure. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I can't wait to try Okay, well, thank you very much, Toshi, for for joining us. Thank you. So this new seasonal espresso blend we're talking about today is made up of Brazil, a farm called Sao Judas in Piata, and Ruli, a coffee from Rwanda. 70% of the blend is made up of the Brazilian component, and 30% is made up of the Rwandan component. 
I tasted it earlier today with Einar as well, and we talked about some of the tasting notes that we got from it, both black, as a shot black, and with milk as well. And tasting it black this morning, even though it was quite a, a fresh roast, it was only a couple of days off roast, we found that the tasting notes were quite close to what we have on the bag. It had a lot of the sort of dried spices, brown sugar sort of aroma, and then in the cup, some toasted nuts like hazelnut, some really nice sweetness like dried apricot, sort of like a nice sweet biscuit sweetness as well like shortbread biscuits and then with milk um, it became very butterscotchy with dairy milk it was like vanilla with caramel and really nice sort of melted ice cream sort of flavor to it the Rwandan component will give it some really nice aromatics so there's the black tea the date and the brown sugar those will come from the Rwandan component from the Ruli and the nice sugar browning components like the toasted hazelnut and the dried apricot will come from the Sao Judas. We're still to come up with a recipe for this seasonal espresso and we'll let you know soon but just from the tasting notes uh, I would say make a really nice espresso on a maybe a slightly shorter espresso ratio than the normal say 18 grams to 35 grams of espresso or something like that. The Rwandan component will be a little bit tart but it's a small amount of the blend and I think will add a lot to the complexity of the cup. We typically have five different seasonal espressos throughout the year and we aim to have them run for about 10 weeks each and it depends on the time of year and on the particular blend and sometimes they're a bit bigger or a bit smaller than others but usually this means buying around eight or nine tons of coffee for each seasonal espresso blend. Ina asked me earlier how I choose the coffee for our seasonal espresso and it's an interesting question because we have changed the way that we buy coffee for our seasonal espresso over time but currently the way I do it is I look at the time of year and typically I start with Central America because I'm most familiar with Guatemalan coffee so I'll look at when we're going to get our first shipment of Central American coffee and start the year there and plan for the rest of the year. So I like to think that Central American coffees will last for about six or eight months from when they first land. So we tend to plan to have two, two seasonal espressos based around our Central American coffees. And following that, we tend to have three seasonal espressos based around Brazilian coffees, either with the first one sort of heavily based around Colombia as well, and then the second two with more Rwandan coffee or Bolivian coffee um, put into there. So sort of knowing that those coffees are in season at, at those times, it becomes a little bit easier to sort of plan what coffees will taste good together or what coffees could taste good together. Because of the size of the lots that we're buying, you know, between five, well, between four and five ton each, we tend to have to plan these quite far in advance and let our producers know that we intend to buy quite a lot of coffee from them. This is especially true for places like Bolivia or Kenya, where the volumes are so low that we really have to give them heaps of notice or even blend a couple of different lots together to get the volume that we need. So I hope you enjoy this new seasonal espresso and please uh, feel free to get in contact if you have any further questions or any feedback about it. Happy brewing.